Hi, everybody. I'm Ralph Benmergi. Welcome to Not That Kind of Rabbi. Um, the disclaimer I, I don't usually do anymore, but I'll do it one more time. I'm not a rabbi. I am a spiritual director. I did take a three-year ordination program, and I am indeed uh, someone who also, by the way, uh, has a spiritual companionship or counseling or direction clients, whatever way you want to say it. Seems to be some flux in our world about that uh, on one-on-one. Uh, and if you want uh, some uh, spiritual counseling, and it's a hard thing to explain to people, you see, because it's it's not psychotherapy. It's not me saying to somebody, you, you have a an issue and a pathology and I'd like to help you with it and I'll use this. It's really a kind of sacred relationship between two people, a holy listening, as it were, from one heart to another, and with some spiritual components and some practices that can be suggested, some meditative practices are often common. Um, But really, it's a way of talking about the more existential issues that people have in life. Once you get past, you know, it's kind of, put it this way, if I had a musical soundtrack, it would be Peggy Lee, is that all there is? Because we all get to that point in a material life where we just think, well, I did all the goodies and collected all the stuff and I'm still here and it's still not quite feeling right. So if you're one of those folks, and most of us are, uh, I'd love to help you along the way and walk with you a bit. Uh, As uh, someone says wisely at one of my uh, Sabbath Shabbat dinners, we're all just walking each other home. So if that's the case, then... Why not do it with somebody else? Uh, If you want any of that kind of counseling, I do offer it. And the easiest way to get in touch with me confidentially is to go to my Twitter account and direct message me. Uh, At Ralph Ben Mergi is where you'll go for the Twitter account. And then DM me and uh, we'll carry on our conversation in confidence. And uh, hopefully it'll do some good for you. Uh, People seem to speak well of the experience. I certainly get a lot out of it. I want to talk a bit today about two things. One is the lingering positive effect of my conversation with Harry Manx, uh, who's out on Salt Spring Island and is a wonderful performer who I've enjoyed for years. But he really turned me on to uh, Advaita Vedanta Hindu uh, practice, which really simply is the idea of being present in as much of one's life as possible and dealing from the center of yourself and who you are. So you are not, I am Ralph. No, I am. Simply, I am. Because once I become Ralph, then there's a whole bunch of stuff to defend and a whole bunch of things to argue about with people that that's not my version of Ralph. What's your version of Ralph? Do you know Ralph? I know Ralph. And the ego takes this dance that takes us into places we don't necessarily need to be. But to stop at I am is to then, in many ways in this practice, is is to be able to become present completely, which is oddly enough something we avoid as much as humanly possible. We'll turn on the radio, we'll have a conversation, we'll watch a, a ball game, we'll, we'll just distract ourselves constantly from the very moment we're in. But it's the only real moment we have. The past is a, is a narrative that we constantly are revising and changing. And the future hasn't happened yet. So it's just this moment. And the more we can stay in that moment, the more sincere and integrated our reactions to the things around us can become. We can step one back from the dance and just be able to be present to what is truly the miracle around us. I saw a picture, I think I reposted it, 
of uh, one of the Milky Way Hubble telescope pictures. And it's just, what? Like, this is just what? And I'm here thinking, I am Ralph. <laughs> I am Ralph. What the hell is that mean? <laughs> so it doesn't do me any good to do that. Uh, but it does do me a lot of good to realize I'm just a little bit of nothing in the middle of something. And by being that, I'm everything. So it, it's an interesting thing to do. Also starting, by the way, uh, tomorrow, uh, as I tape this, is the Jewish New Year. Rosh Head Hashanah of the New Year of the year. And I've always thought that it was actually appropriate that a, a new year begins in the fall. I never thought the dead of winter arbitrarily on this day in the dead of winter, that it's a new year. I always thought when summer was over and the harvest was in, that we could start again and plant the seeds for the next year. Um, so Rosh Hashanah makes perfect sense to me. It is a very profound holiday in the Jewish experience, followed eight days later by another very profound event, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And one of the interesting things about the atonement part is we deal with the idea of our personal sin, not original sin, but personal sin. But if you think about it in the Hebrew uh, language, a sin is not an evil act. A sin is a misdirected aim. It is not quite, your, 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 your intentions are fundamentally there, but you're off. You're just, you're not hitting the target. And by not hitting the target, life is out of balance, or Kayanaskatsi, as they said in the Hopi film uh, documentary. So instead of flailing about thinking, what a horrible person I've been all year, and I promise dad, I'll do better next time. Uh, it's more of a reflection on recalibrating our aim towards the things that we care about in this world and in each other and in ourselves. So that's my rant. My guest today. Hold on. Is, can, I, can I get you to keep going? I've been really enjoying this. <laughs> uh, all right. One more thing then. Would you please? Shana Tova, by the way. Shana Tova. That's my guest. That's Zane Kaplansky, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, thank you, Zane. That's very kind of you to say that. Uh, Rosh Hashanah, on the other hand, is the ram's horn, the wake-up. And in spiritual life, the wake-up moment is the moment that we look for. Not the lightning hits me and I'm now a holy person moment, but the wake up, wake up, get yourself together, man. What do you think you're doing? Because most of what we do, going back to what Harry's been teaching me through the stuff he's been guiding me to, is the idea that we are uh, asleep. We are unconscious. And it's interesting. I watched a George Carlin uh, clip today where he really just does the rant on the nonsense of the American dream, the true nonsense of it. And part of it is they want you to stay asleep, he says. They, this is how they want you. No critical thinking allowed, no educated response. Just stay asleep and watch the sporting event. And pretend the politics gives you real choice. It just gives you the illusion of choice. So in the day of Rosh Hashanah, which starts tomorrow night, and then there's two days after that, every uh, service is followed with the blowing of the shofar the uh, ram's horn, and it is a primal sound. 
you can't really replicate it. And when you hear it, and, and on Yom Kippur, you hear it at the end of that 25-hour fast, uh, and it's what you're waiting for if you've been fasting. Um, but the awaking sound of the shofar is one that is to rouse your soul, to rouse the center of who you are, and to reaffirm for you your humanity and your interconnectedness with everything, not every Jew in the world, everything in the world, every ocean wave that passes. Uh, when I do my, my work with people, one of the things I do with clients is I, I try to say, if they're religious, um, look, for instance, if they're Jewish, I'll say, look, God is not Jewish. You're Jewish. It's your way of trying to understand what's going on. But you don't own a God. God is not Muslim. You're Muslim. It's how you're understanding the world. I asked a friend of mine once about Jesus. I said, look, I have a real problem because it's been embedded in me in my Jewish culture to really kind of downplay Jesus, that he was just a Jewish rabbi. And as my friend's Bubby, grandmother said, you know, he's a nice guy, but the son of God. <laughs> right. So I said, look, I, I don't want to keep this bias, this prejudice with me for the rest of my life. And she said, well, let me try to explain to you this way. Um, I should have her on the show. She was the former moderator of the United Church, Marty Tyndall. And she said, Jesus Christ is not what you see on his license, on his driver's license. Jesus and Christ are two different ideas. Jesus is the human manifestation of the divine on earth and a, a mediator, as it were, a teacher and mediator, a true rabbi. Christ is a consciousness that says, I breathe life into the trees and the trees breathe life into me. That we are interdependent and interconnected. That is Christ consciousness. And that really helped me. And I no longer had to have this image in my mind that I shouldn't be listening to those teachings. So all that being said, Zane Kaplansky, to me, as a vegetarian, uh, <laughs> was always a wonderful thing because he, he, he has delis, Kaplansky's. And there was one on college, which is no longer there, which is a whole Michigas. I don't want to get into <laughs> um, But he, I went there with a good friend of mine. Uh, Harvey and I would sit and have lunch. And we would talk about things that mattered to us. But I just loved, it was like being bathed in, in Jewish culture without it being oppressive, without it being, you know, it's got to be exactly just like, I just got to enjoy <laughs> it. <laughs> it's got to enjoy it. And then I'd look at longingly at salami and smoked meat. And <laughs> here I'm missing it. But, um, but nonetheless, uh, I did want to talk to Zane, and I reached out, and he was kind enough to say he would uh, come on. So, Zane, Shana Tova, Happy New Year. Shana Tova, Happy New Year to you, Ralph. Nice to see you. You're one of my favorite customers in Delhi. You didn't come just once. You came a lot. No, really I came a lot. always a pleasure. Yeah, it's always a pleasure for me to have you there. Broke my heart. I went to, I went to the one in the airport once on my way uh, out. And sometimes when I travel, I wear my kippah. Uh, and I was wearing my, my yarmulke, skull cap, whatever they want to call it, but uh, my kippah. And I was sitting there at, at, the, at the bar. I was having a coffee and I think just some fries. 
because I don't even mean. So I'm sitting there, and there's a CFL football game on, on the TV, and there's all these guys, rowdy, and two of them come up beside me, and one of them looks at the other one, and he goes, yeah, fucking Argos. They're always fucking it up. And then he looks over <laughs> at me and my keeper, and he goes, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I, I shouldn't have sworn. <laughs> you bring out the best in people. I love well, it. Well, the keeper did. I didn't. Well. If I hadn't had the keeper on, he would have just said, hey, don't you fucking agree? <laughs> hey, aren't you Ralph Benberg? <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to start by something that I read that really touched me was the story of uh, your great grandfather or your grandfather? My great grandfather. That's right. Your great grandfather who I'll let you tell the story, but please, I'd love to hear that story. Sure. So uh, my great grandfather's name was Schneer Zalman Duchman, and I'm actually named for him. So my Hebrew name is Schneer Zalman. And uh, my, of course, last name is Kaplansky. Uh, His daughter was my grandmother. And I learned uh, of his stories from his other daughter, Nahama, who used to spend her summers with my family in Toronto. And I used to stick very close to her because uh, I loved hearing stories of Schneer Zalman, my, my great grandfather. But there's one story she never told and that I never heard until I actually opened the deli on College Street. And that was the story of how uh, the world of kosher ruined his life. And uh, Schneer Zalman was, like many uh, pious Jews of his time, um, and I should say as well that he was a shochet. And a shochet is a Yiddish word for uh, butcher. So he had a, a house where his butcher shop also existed on Nassau Street in Kensington Market, which uh, to this day in Cantonese they refer to as the Jewish market back in those days was a heavily Jewish part of, of town. And uh, Schnurzelman used to bless and kill chickens in his, uh, in his home. And in fact, my father grew up in that house as well with his, with his grandfather. And still, I never heard this story until I opened my deli in the Monarch Tavern, also in, in Kensington Market. And uh, sorry, not, not far from Kensington Market, I should say. Little, little. Uh, yeah. yeah, little, little. Thank you. And my cousin Lloyd Duckman, uh, another grandson of Schneer Zalman, came in one day and he said, did you ever hear the story of my grandfather and how he he got, um, uh, he lost his Heksher? And the Heksher is the certification that these guys have for their their ability to uh, kosher uh, chickens and, and, uh, and food. He then went on to tell me the story of how, like many uh, Jews of his time, um, pious or not, Schneer Zalman was, as well as being a shochet, a socialist. And he went to work every September around this time of year for the big meat packer, which I believe was Canada Packers at the time. And they would hire the kosher shochet uh, team to come and bless and kill chickens for their, their kosher customers. And Schneer Zalman noticed that his coworkers were all, the Jews, were all paid a lot less than the unionized non-kosher petters. And so the socialist in him thought, I can fix this. And he went and he tried to unionize the other kosher cutters. Guys, 
if we all band together, they have no choice but to pay us more and to give us better standards the same way that they do with their other butchers. His employer did not appreciate his efforts. <laughs> and uh, I don't know what happened behind the scenes. I do know that the Council of Rabbis in Toronto brought charges against my great-grandfather pertaining to what? I don't know. I don't know what the proceedings were. It's kind of lost in time. But the way that my father tells the story and my cousin Lloyd, it was corrupt. That somebody paid somebody something in order to essentially make an example of my great-grandfather so that nobody would try and, and, and unionize the kosher cutters again. And uh, he was, in fact, found guilty of whatever you know, misdemeanor they had, they had uh, charged him with. They revoked his kosher certification, which meant that he was no longer able to bless and kill chickens uh, in a kosher manner. And uh, his, his, essentially his livelihood was taken away from him. And uh, if I tell you, I could show you a picture of, uh, and maybe I'll send you a picture so you can post it, of my great-grandfather, he's what Grammy Hall would call a real Jew. So <laughs> he had the beard and the hat and the, and the, and the black coat. He, exactly. He's what you would imagine when they say, this is what a Jew is. They don't imagine you and me, Ralph. They imagine my, my great-grandfather. Yeah. Yeah. All of his children became secular. All of his children, he went from being a Lubavitch Shochet. He, in fact, went to yeshiva with uh, Rabbi Schneerson's father, the original altar rabbi in New York. Uh, back in, in Europe, as boys, they went to the same yeshiva. And when he was dying, the altar rabbi in New York, he summoned my great-grandfather to New York. And I think, you know, I, I never knew the subtext of this either, but my grandfather went in his father-in-law's place because my, my great-grandfather wasn't fit to travel at that stage. He was too sick himself. And he said that he had a, a really wonderful and warm conversation and that the altar rabbi wanted to, to give my great-grandfather his blessing. And there's something inside of me that says it was a form of an apology because that they would have known through the grapevine what had happened and that it was really, uh, really wrong. And so you know, I, I always grew up eating bacon. I always grew up, you know, not keeping kosher. Uh, I grew up in the conservative movement in Toronto. I was, I was bar mitzvahed at Beth Tikva, where I, I went to Hebrew school for many years. And my father always had this anti-kosher bent. And the, the, the funny modern part of the story, if I can continue this, is that in about like seven or eight years ago, I was contacted by uh, uh, Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment asking me if I would be interested in opening a kosher stand at the Rogers Center, which is now the Scotiabank, uh, sorry, at the ACC, which is now the Scotiabank uh, Arena. And, you know, for a kid from Toronto who bleeds blue with the Maple Leafs, to be in that stadium was, you know, and I jumped at it. Of course I would like to. Well, you're going to have to get kosher certified. And my father says, 
don't do it. They are genefam, thieves. They will take every last dime you have and they'll, ah, what do you know? What do you, like all kids taping their phone. What do you, what do you know? <laughs> and I, I contacted a cousin of mine who's kosher. And I said, if I want to get kosher certified, how do I do it? And Jerry says, don't do it. <laughs> you don't want to get involved with these people. Trust me. I said, no, no. And, you know, again, I'm a Leafs fan. And, and this is, and the Raptors and, you know, the, the, the glamour of being in that place and, and not even, not even about the money, just about the prestige, just seeing my brand in that stadium, you know, where, where Daryl Sittler and the, you know, Matt Sandine and my heroes of, of, uh, of the Toronto Maple Leafs, Wendell Clark, when these guys played, some of them played, I mean, they mostly played the gardens, but that's okay. Uh, just being a part of that. And so Jerry says, okay, well, there's two. There's core, the council of rabbis, and there's bedats. And bedats are the new kids on the block. And he said, you might have better luck with bedats. So I called bedats. They sent a, a fellow down to talk to me about the process of getting kosher certified. He wouldn't step foot in the restaurant. He insisted on meeting me across the street at a park. And we're standing there and he's going through what's going to have to happen. And I said, okay, okay. And he says, and you're going to have to take on a new partner. And I'm like, excuse me? It's a very standard thing. It's 3%, maybe five, could be seven, but it's, you know, it's, it's a standard. What do you mean take on a partner and give them a piece of my business? What are you talking about? Well, you don't belong to a synagogue. I said, I know. Well, we, we need to deal with some, I'm not Jewish enough for you. It's kind of like that. <laughs> and I would have to take on an Orthodox partner who would have to be an equity partner. This is what they call the kosher shakedown. This is the part of, of, that, of that world that people believe is, and I think is actually corrupt. And then he gives me that Columbo moment. You know that, Ralph? Columbo, just, just before he leaves the room, <laughs> and he says, just one more thing. And that one more thing is always the part that Columbo gets you, right? He, he Columbo's me. He goes like this. One more thing. You're going to have to change the name. Excuse me? Yeah, you're going to... We can't have Kaplansky's kosher at the ACC and Kaplansky's delicatessen. People will get confused. Now, another story uh, worth telling is that I changed my name once already. I was born Zane Kaplan. And I was born Zane Kaplan because my father's other great-grandfather, or my, sorry, my father's other grandfather, my other great-grandfather, I had four, this was the second, Benjamin Kaplansky came from Poland and decided to change the family name. Why he decided that, I don't know. I never met the man. But I always assumed, and there's one particular photograph of Schnerzalman Duchman and Benjamin Kaplansky together, where Schnerzalman is, like I say, dressed like a typical Orthodox Jewish gentleman, and Benjamin Kaplansky is in a wool suit with a straw bowler. And it's the old saying, Ralph, uh, be Yiddish, look British. And, you know, trying to, trying to fit in with society. 
And so he would have dropped the ski from the last name to fit in better with society. Well, I had all kinds of identity issues and, and emotions around opening a restaurant and a deli in the first place. Your wonderful and very generous introduction really fills me with so much joy because that's what I was going for. A place where people would feel what we call that Yiddish atum, that, that flavor of, of joy around food. We used to have these buttons that said, Jew it up. And I love that notion of celebrating Jewish style. And it was controversial when I did it. And people would say, you know, what does Jew it up mean? And I'm like, well, you know what Jew me down means? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, it's the opposite. <laughs> and, you know, because Jew got, the word got yeah. corrupted as a verb in a very negative way. And so for another generation. Loud, yeah, if you, say it out loud, if you say it out loud in a restaurant, you'll notice that a Jewish person does this as they're talking to another Jewish person in the restaurant. They go, you know, I met this really great girl. She's Jewish, you know. And the thing I really <laughs> like about her. And you go, oh, okay. And so I'll tell you a little thing there as well. There's um, a book uh, called uh, An Empire of Their Own, How the Jews Invented Hollywood. And it's written by Neil Gabler. It's a beautiful mm -hmm. book. I, I interviewed him years ago about the book. He's a very good biographer. And I said, he was in New York, I think it was, and I was in Toronto, so I couldn't see him. Uh, so radio, and I said, uh, so did you have any trouble with your subtitle? How the Jews invented Hollywood. And there was this long pause, and he said, That was very difficult because the publishers did not want the word Jew on a book. And I insisted that that's the point of the book. And that even in the telling of the story of the five heads of the studios, their attempts to assimilate, to create synagogues that might as well have been churches, to marry outside of the religion, to do uh, as much as they could to, you know, be Yiddish, look British, uh, was going on. And these were all Eastern European Jews who'd come over to New York first in the vaudeville scene and then moved to, to L.A. and created Hollywood. And he said, I fought tooth and nail. And then finally, I just said, you know, this book means everything to me. And if you're not going to let me do this, I'm not going to let you publish this book without a, a lawsuit. And they finally acquiesced. And one of the guys he was dealing with was Jewish. Yeah. So, not, yeah, it's very, it's a very fraught word. And I, one of the things I love doing is celebrating Jewish culture and really trying to reclaim that. I put that on the side of my food truck. I doubled down on that shit because, you know, for me, uh, we, we've taken it on the chin for thousands of years. <laughs> and the idea that our culture is one of sadness and, and grief and mourning. And, you know, we're, we're so overwhelmed by, the history of the Holocaust in, in recent times, that, that the other side of Judaism, the celebratory side, the food side, the, the, the sex side, the, all the wonderful things that, that, that Judaism has to offer are, I think, part of my job to, you know, celebrate. And, and, and uh, so when I opened the deli back in 2008 in the Monarch Tavern in Little Italy in downtown Toronto, and I changed my name. I had to think of a name for the restaurant. And I thought of, you know, Kaplan's Deli. You know, there's a Kaplan's Hardware or a Kaplan Furniture Store in yeah. the West End. And uh, my mother and my brother are both politicians. And so they sort of corrupted the name Kaplan for uh, political purposes. And I thought, 
know, what about Kaplansky's Deli? And that had a nice ring to it. And so I've changed my name once. And when this guy says to me, you're going to have to change your name, I'm like, yeah, I've been there. I've done that. I'm not going back. But it's interesting and, because the Komplansky thing and the Kaplan to Komplansky, in this telling of the story of your great-grandfather, there is uh, this rebuke that you're not Jewish enough. Right. Um, right. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I, well, I was doing, I did a documentary series called My Israel that I did for Vision TV. And at one point I was mic'd up and I was at the wall at the Kotel, the uh, Western wall. And uh, they were, my uh, producer was shooting uh, some footage of me at the wall. And I was doing my prayers and uh, an Orthodox guy, young Orthodox guy, not that young, you know, late thirties comes up to me and uh, goes, uh, I don't know why they talk like this, but they do. Uh, <laughs> uh, you, you, you Jewish? And I reflexively turned towards him. I, I, I kind of almost spun on my heel and said, yeah, is that all right with you? Like I'm here at the Western Wall, the holiest site in Judaism, you know, that's actually brick and mortar, as right. it were. And uh, you're, you're, are you Jewish? It's like, what do you think I'm, what's it your business, A, and B, what do you think I'm doing here? But then he starts hitting up on me for money, which was even more objectionable. Um, for Ralph, when, I, when I was at the wall six years ago for my nephew's bar mitzvah, the guy comes around with a tefillin and to, to help you lay tefillin at the wall. Everybody else he charges money to, he wouldn't accept money from me because my name is Schneer Zalman. Schneer Zalman and the line that I come from is a revered name. The, the, the founder of the Lubavitch movement was Schneer Zalman. He wrote a book called The Tanya, The Truth. The entire Lubavitch movement is based on that book and that man. And I'm his descendant. I'm named for him. And they wouldn't, and, but to this guy, this Badatz guy, I'm not Jewish enough for you? Fuck you. And, and I'm like, I threw him out. I didn't, I didn't throw him out of the restaurant because he wasn't in the restaurant. <laughs> I, I, I went to core. I went to his competition to say, Okay, and, and I, went to, I went to the, the other side. And, and again, you know, these are the people who humiliated my great-grandfather. I didn't know this story at the time. And so in my own defense, if I would have known this story, I wouldn't have stepped foot in this man's office. I walk in, and the young rabbi, now, first of all, I sit in the waiting room at CORE, and I hear the phone ringing constantly, and the receptionist answering questions about toothpaste and tomato sauce and uh, mouthwash and which hechsher is kosher and how do I know? And, and the entire kosher existence is based on looking for the symbol, the little mm -hmm. hechsher, and, and knowing what you can and can't eat. It's a very highly prescribed way of eating. And I, I finally, after about 20 minutes, I get into the, the room with the rabbi. And he says, uh, he says, uh, I understand you're a bit of a media personality. So I had a radio show for many years in Toronto, <laughs> done a lot of Food Network stuff as well. The dog has heard of me. And uh, Kaplansky, I, uh, why didn't you say I, so? See, That's what the dog see, said. That's right. I'm a bit of a big deal on the canine set. And uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, and this rabbi's heard of me as well. So I'm like, you know, rabbi, uh, 
I'm really uh, just a humble restaurant owner and I'm, I'm here to see if I can help, if you can help me grow my business. I've been given an opportunity by the best brand in the country, the Toronto Maple Leafs, the, the Toronto Raptors want my restaurant in their stadium, but I need a kosher certification. And he's got me. He knows that, that he's now the only game in town, that I'm not going to work with these other guys and who are pretty much now, I think, out of business anyway. I think the, the, uh, the core drove them out of town. And, uh, and again, I get the same runaround, the same shakedown. First of all, you're going to have to be closed Friday night and all day Saturday. You can't operate on Shabbat. I knew that already. Okay, I get that. You're going to have to have a mashkiach. You're going to have to have the, the, uh, the guy come down to, to be able to turn on the ovens and, and supervise. I knew that already. That's fine, too. That's what it means to be kosher. I do have a problem with your name. You're going to have to change the name. And I said to him, you know, Rabbi, I'm sitting in your waiting room, and I'm listening to people call. And I know that when people – so, Ralph, when you told the story about coming to the deli with your kippah on – at our college street restaurant, I used to train my people that to look for people with a kippah. If you look in my logo, my apostrophe is a star of David. My, I wear my Jewish identity on my sleeve. The whole Jew it up thing, the whole, you know, I, I'm really all about loud and proud. You know, we're here, we're Jews, we're not going away. And uh, if people mistakenly believe or or confuse a Jewish restaurant with a kosher restaurant, I want to make sure you're not going to do something you regret or eat something that you think is kosher that isn't kosher. So when we see a person with a yarmulke on, just letting you know that we're not a kosher restaurant. And I know the way the kosher people operate, they look for the heksher up on the wall just to make sure that this yeah, is a place that keeps kosher. And he says, yeah, but it's still, you know, there's going to be confusion. And I knew at the time that there was a second cup coffee shop. There was one that was kosher and all the rest in the chain are not kosher. And so armed with this knowledge, I said to him, but rabbi, you know, you've, you've certified one second cup and all the other, well, they don't serve meat. What the fuck difference does that make? <laughs> you know, I've since found out. It's interesting about kosher because uh, for many years when I wasn't vegetarian, I, I was kosher, but I was kosher without buying kosher. I, I just ate kosher and followed the dietary restrictions. Somebody, you know, said to me, you know, why, why, a, a friend of mine who was Jewish, was like, well, why do you bother with it? Like, why do you bother with kosher? And I said, because every day I have to make a choice. I have to decide the milk fork or the meat fork. I have to decide... If I'm in a restaurant, do I eat this? Because it has a, a, a meat with a cream sauce. But I have to make the decision every day to, that's part of being Jewish. I'm Jewish and I'm doing this. But I had learned many years before that, that one of the two major producers of kosher meat in the United States, uh, in Minnesota, I believe it was, yes. uh, who are still there, uh, were their labor practices were so abhorrent Yes. They were withholding people's work permit and visa so they couldn't get out of the country. They were uh, locking people in. They were, they were physically and mentally abusing their employees. And I thought, there's nothing holy about this. There's no good idea about this. Like every other system, it is prone to its corruptions. But what I want to know from you is, it sounds to me like 
I sometimes say to people, being Jewish is an act of spite. <laughs> right? It, it, it's just like, you know what? You missed me. You missed me. You know? And it also is one of intergenerational traumas. That we, you know, that the the wound your your great grandfather uh, that was inflicted upon him, the shame brought to a, a man of holiness, a man aspiring to holiness, uh, to be brought down by standing up for fellow human beings, and even there's something in me that thinks that even though you didn't know this story till much later, it informed your family. It, the choices that were made to be culturally Jewish, but secular when it came to religion, the choices you made to re-own your name, to say, I'm, uh, you know, I, I love my brother, David. I love my, my mother, Eleanor. And, you know, and God bless your brother's passing, by the way. Um, you. But you wanted to be your Koplansky. You wanted to be who you are. And that search for authenticity what does your Jewishness look like today because of all that? That's what I know. Well, that's a, that's a fascinating question. I think you, there's so much here that we could, we could really talk for a long time about. But uh, I, I, um, I often look back on the, the knowledge that, you know, it wasn't the biggest. I'm not sure if God knew what she was doing when she, when she asked us to be her chosen people. And uh, which is to say, we weren't her first choice, but, uh, but we agreed. And when you are the chosen ones, uh, you have a responsibility to carry the message. And, you know, I, what I loved about your, you called it your rant. I loved your introduction, Ralph. I really thought that you absolutely nailed what it means to be Jewish and the idea of teaching people to, stay in the moment, teaching people to handle their feelings, teaching people to uh, live their life in a, in a responsible and responsive way. Uh, to me, being Jewish is an inclusive thing. It's not an exclusive thing. It's not meant to be us versus them. It's just meant to be us. That it's, it's really, uh, I think, I look at the core messages of the golden rule, treat other people the way you want to be treated. Uh, be a good person. Don't be a schmuck. You know, we all know the difference between right and wrong in our lives. I also loved what you said about, about evil just being misguided. And I'm working really hard in my life right now, Ralph, to instead of when somebody does something that I, I find either offensive or oppressive or, or anger causing, instead to default to compassion. And to me, that's a very Jewish response. Instead of looking at the Canada Packers as being evil, look at them as being scared. Uh, instead of looking at the, at the Council of Rabbis as being corrupt, think of them as being misinformed. Think of them as being uh, just unfortunate, immature people that they don't understand and they've lost their way from the core messages that God really wanted us to carry to the rest of the world. Uh, Can I stop when you? you look at, Can I stop sure. you? It's your show. You can stop me wherever you want. <laughs> <laughs> you got Mike in the background anyway, pushing the button. So it's up to you. So I, I want to look at this 
word compassion and the examples you gave, because for me, some of the pieces of the example you gave really make me think more of pity. They're misguided. They don't know what they're saying. They don't know. Forgive them, God. They don't know not what they do, as, as, as Jesus would say. Um, when, for me, compassion is, is being able to send love when you're not receiving it. That's the hardest part. That's the part where it comes into you in one way, and the ego part of us is animated. Hey, you don't talk to me like that. I'm Zane. You don't talk to Zane like, fuck you. Don't you do you know, I know who I am? You know who I am? <laughs> That's the, do you know who I am should be on t-shirts at the film festival. <laughs> don't you know who I am? i got to get in here. I'm the guy who did the insurance for the film. It's just get relaxed. You know, Ralph, Scott Peck wrote the book, The Road Less Traveled. Yes. So he, Peck in, in The Road Less Traveled said, uh, you really can't love somebody who's not prepared or doesn't want to be loved. And so I have a hard time with, with that version of compassion, sending love to people who, who treat you that way. Okay. But I'll argue that. I'll argue that. Um, do it. Because one of the teachings in Judaism and in all great religions uh, and spiritual paths is we do not give in the hopes of getting, we don't love to be loved. We just love. And that's a much harder thing to do because we have been so conditioned to be transactional. I'll yeah, be but, nice to but, you and you'll be but nice Ralph, to me. We have, a, we have a, a finite capacity. We have only so many hours in our day. We only have so many people that we can really show that, that kind of uh, energy to. And so I think what Peck was saying was when you direct it towards people who can't receive it, you're really wasting your time. But and don't I, while I agree it's not results. transactional, I totally agree with what you're saying. Yeah. I also think that to be effective, that finding people who are ready for the message is a, a better place and, and way to spend your time than preaching to the to the uh, unwashed. But there is no, <laughs> the one I'm thinking is, is, is that there is nothing about being effective. I'm not doing it so that I really hope that there'll be better people or that they'll be nicer to me next time. Just doing it. You're just doing it. And it, whether that person at that time can accept what you're giving them is really not relevant. But imagine if we were all doing it. Imagine. Oh, would that, I mean, that's, that's the, the whole point. Of the absolutely. But absolutely. the wounds that people carry are not to be uh, underestimated or known by us. So well, in our humility, and the wounds that I share. carry, yes. the wounds that I carry from being, taken advantage of, from being abused, from being hurt, from, you know, people who I've tried to show my love to, and they've taken it and they've, you know, beat me over the head with it. Uh, though it's very hard for me as a, as a human being, as a Jew of any kind, to really not be, you know, once bitten, twice shy kind of thing. That, that once you've gone through that abuse, that now you want to be a little bit more careful next time out and, and really just know that, you know, you get it so we can be friends. But I can't be friends with somebody who's who's just going to take and take and take and then, you know, run away. Well, I'm not saying you should submit yourself to people's uh, inability to aim properly, as it were. 
but I am saying that you can, so forgiveness, resentment is the poison we drink hoping to kill the other person, right? Right, I like that a lot. Forgiveness is an offering we give so that there are in everyone's lives people who have hurt them and who they don't really want anything physically to, to do with anymore. They don't, they're not gonna keep reaching out saying, hit me one more time, you know, it's done. But on the other hand, to free yourself of a, a suitcase full of rocks of resentment is to be able to put that rock down and just send love towards them. That doesn't mean that you, they even have to know you're doing it. Just think of golden, beautiful light that you send to this person who really was not, did not do right by you. And just leave it at that. And that to me is more about what compassion is about. The other part is giving people, which you spoke of earlier, is another part of Judaism, which is the benefit of the doubt. If somebody mm. is racing past you in their car, try to give them the benefit of the doubt. They just may have found out that something very bad has happened. If someone is going by you in an ambulance, look into that ambulance and don't think, oh, why do I have to move over? Just think, I hope that person's going to be okay. So the benefit of the doubt and, and the ability to give out regardless of what you get in, because mm. so many people are so unskilled at life and unskilled at their responses. You know, it's like the patron in a restaurant who doesn't bother to even look up at the waiter, especially in a Jewish one where they think that this is part of the culture and the norm to not say please and thank you. Uh, I'll take the chicken. Where will you take the chicken, sir? Why I and the service in this place is terrible. Yeah, this is why I was never actually uh, <laughs> why I was never actually a waiter. I just thought, you know, I don't I don't think I can do this at this point in my life. I'm too immature. If someone starts, you know, giving me a hard time and leaving me fifty cent tips, I'm, I'm going to be yelling at them on the way out the door. Like, yeah, but if it's, it's you, you're just Jewish sending lots of light to these people, and you're just you're moving on with your life. Okay, sure. No, I you, also say don't put myself in. A, in a retail position where I won't be a happy guy. That's, and, you know, one of the things about uh, being a Kaplansky and a Kaplan, you come from a line of people who fight for things. Yes. Your brother, your, your mother, you know, your great grandfather. I don't know the rest of the, uh, of the mishpacha yeah. of the family, but it's stand up for stuff. It's not, you, you don't walk on me. We do not, we do not suffer in silence. <laughs> <laughs> So let me ask you what Rosh Hashanah then means to you. Like if you're not an observant Jew, you don't go to synagogue, I assume. Um, how do you hold these touch points in your life? You know, the uh, funny enough, on Friday, I'm going to be in Vancouver. And uh, I do know a few Jewish families in Vancouver. And I, I reached out to a couple of them and they were sort of a little bit skittish with the whole COVID thing and their kids are in school and maybe it's not the best time. And I get that. And I think for this year, that makes sense. Um, for myself, uh, wishing people that I know, see, I, I love, I love this, Ralph. I love, I love social media. I love being able to connect with people uh, all over the world through, um, through my social media channels and to be able to spread the message of wishing people a sweet and happy year, of being able to use that new year as a moment to uh, reflect a little bit on the year that was, enjoy where we are right now. And I can tell you I've never been happier or more satisfied than I am right now at this moment. 
And even with all the suffering going on in the world, even with all the challenges that the pandemic has to offer, uh, I still see this as a huge opportunity for renewal and to do better. I think the pandemic has exposed all of the faults and all the flaws in our society and given us the opportunity, if we take it, to improve the world that we live in. And using the new year of celebration to do exactly that, to take a big bite of the apple, take a big uh, dip into the honey, and to know that, that at this moment, anything is possible. And I, I believe in those words fundamentally. Anything is possible. And if you do believe those words, then what do you want the future to be? What do you want to manifest in this world for yourself? And I, I, uh, I know that uh, my dearest wish is to see the world living in harmony, to see people uh, living their best lives, to see people feeling what I feel right now and exactly the message that you send as well, Ralph. So um, if that's what I have in my heart, listening to and learning from wise people like yourself, learning from the lessons of my own life, spreading a, a message of love to other people, to me, uh, that's what I want for, for the new year moving forward. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, it's just another opportunity to, to reset and celebrate. And, you know, we have enough opportunities in this world, Ralph, to, to grieve. I lost my beloved cousin Ruthie a few weeks ago, 97 years old, the matriarch of our family. She had a stroke. She had COVID-19. She pushed through. That woman was a fighter. And, uh, um, you know, there's so many opportunities that we have to grieve that when we have the chance to celebrate, you know what I like to say, do it up, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> and there's Teshuvah, the turning, that. turning towards the things that you care about and, and, and the ways to be. So you're not in Toronto. You're not running around like a chicken. You're I love you know, I, I live in I live in the uh, the west coast of the west coast of Canada. It's it's uh, I'm in Tofino, BC. I got I, I married, you know, I, I married a beautiful woman who's from Tofino. We we met in Toronto. I my apartment overlooks the church that we got married in. And I told Willa when we first got married, when we first met, uh, I knew I early on I wanted to marry her. And I said, you know, I'm never gonna get married in a church. And uh, you know, my 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 Judaism would just no. When I came to Tofino the first time and I went to Christmas services in that church with her family, I decided then and there, this is exactly where I want to get married. And we had a, set, a wedding celebration where we got married like Christians and we partied like Jews. And we really had the best of both traditions uh, at our wedding and in our lives. Willa and I celebrated uh, Passover and Easter every year back to back with our friends and our families in our home. We don't use our religions to divide. We show the world the best of, of what our religions have to offer. Uh, I love being Jewish. She loves being Christian. I point out all the time that Jesus was a Jew. And I, I, uh, I celebrate. I'm just kidding. I, uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not a jerk about the whole thing. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think that religion has to necessarily divide people. I think that we can really be our best selves, show that to the world, let people take what, from it what they will and uh, and just try to be a good person. That, that to me is what this is all about. And the deli business? So the deli business lives on. My, my airport restaurant is thriving. I got, a, I got an email from this morning from a police officer. 
I, stuff like this, Ralph, just fills me with joy. The gentleman uh, tells me that he's a police officer at the airport and he's in love with my beef bacon. How can he buy the beef bacon so that he can share it with his friends? You know, that people want to connect with me and my products and share them with other people, I just absolutely fills me with joy. And so I thanked him for his service. I thanked him for keeping our community safe. And I let him know that if he wants to buy the beef bacon at the, uh, at the airport, that I'll, I'll, I'll help him make that happen. And we will be offering it in the future. And for right now, I have Kaplansky's Mustards. Yeah. I've got this line of, of mustards that I, that I sell that I've been selling for, for a number of years. And part of what I went through when I closed my deli business on College Street, it was heartbreaking for you. Imagine what it was like for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the, the humiliation of being, of being thrown out by my landlord, the, the uh, financial devastation of it cost me over $100,000 in legal fees to get back into the restaurant. I fought for another full year to stay there. I got married in 2017. My landlord came back at me again. And finally, I was like, you know what? This isn't going to work. You can't stay in a place where the guy doesn't want you to be there. And I said, you know, if you want the place bad, so badly, I'll give you back the keys. And I literally walked away from the restaurant uh, in early 2018. My investors had given me enough money to stay, but I knew that that my landlord had poisoned the relationship. He had broken the lease by locking me out in the first place. He was trying to do it again. He was trying to use the legal system uh, to, to punitively get the most he could out of me. And you know what? The goose that laid the golden egg eventually flies away if you, if you poke it and stick it and, and try, to, try to get it to shit nickels every time uh, you, know, you wanted to, to pay more money. I just had enough. And my wife and I came back here to Tofino. Her parents live here. In fact, they live just down the hall from us here. And I don't know if you heard the knock on the door a few minutes ago, but it was, it was Will, Will's mother. Uh, she, has, uh, she has dementia. And we knew that Will's dad was struggling to care for his wife. And these are the finest people that you're ever going to want to know. Sandy and Jenny Bradshaw are just, they're just the best. And... Willa and I were in a really unique position because I could close my restaurant. I could be financially stable because of my airport restaurant and we could transport ourselves out here and help them care for themselves in their, in their golden years, take the pressure off of Sandy so that, that we could help care for Jenny. And we get to live here in Tofino. You know, it's a, it's a magical place with magical. mountains and oceans and, and fishing and, and walks in the woods and beaches and, uh, a year and a half ago, we moved here. And, you know, the greatest gift I think that I've been given, and I loved what you said at the beginning of, your, of, of this show about living in the moment and staying in the moment. Jenny's Alzheimer's has helped me get there. Jenny doesn't have memories of the past. Her disease has taken that away from her. And it's also really not enabled her to look forward. So Jenny lives very much in the moment. And she is such a joy to be with that being with her in the moment is a great place to be. And I've realized exactly what you were teaching, Ralph, that, that, that when I stay in the anger and the frustration of my landlord and my great-grandfather and the past hurts and abuse and heartbreak, 
I'm a tortured soul. And when I think forward about what might be and what could be and what's going to happen, I'm still not enjoying exactly where I am. And exactly where I am is the most beautiful place in Canada, possibly the most beautiful place in the world. I live with people who love me. I, I'm able to give love to those people. I, Jenny and I cook dinner together every night. She's a trained chef. She is the best sous chef I've ever worked with. Mm -hmm. It's a joy. She appreciates us. We go for walks. I, I'm living my best life right now. Mm -hmm. I'm able to, to take the best parts of the business that I loved, the, the deli business that still is happening at the airport. I do pop-ups here on Vancouver Island. I did a pop-up in Vancouver a couple of weeks ago. I'm curing smoked meat. I'm slicing smoked meat. I'm selling my mustards. I'm really, uh, you know, I did a lot of soul searching about what it was about the, the deli business that I loved. And it wasn't the business itself. What I loved about the deli business was exactly what you said in your introduction. It was that feeling that you had being there. It was the emotional connection that I was able to establish with people through my business, through the food, through the, the identity of Jewish deli. And I can maintain that with mustard. I can do that with the, this police officer in the airport who loves my beef bacon. I'm getting all of the benefit that I ever wanted out of Kaplansky's deli now here in Tofino, as far away as you can be from Toronto, it can still be in Canada, uh, through the mustard and through the, through the airport restaurant and through social media and through people kind enough like you to, who, who let me help me tell my story. What a wonderful thing. What a wonderful story. That's beautiful. You know, I, uh, there's a beautiful thing to standing in front of an ocean that gives you your insignificance, your pebbles of sand that your life really is in the universal flow of creation. It, it gives us a instant humility that a city doesn't, I find. A city amplifies your ego. You're, you're, you're the biggest thing in the movie. This is your movie and you're walking down Main Street. And uh, when I go back to places like Tofino with the mist rolling in or, you know, in the second tourist season of Stormwatch, you know, yep. and just have people just sit there and watch water come towards them relentlessly, purposefully and with no aim whatsoever at the same moment it just allows us to just breathe into our existence and just capture our humility and look up at stars and just think right right this is Stephen Jenkinson wrote a book called Die Wise and he has a wonderful thing where he says uh, life is not the human lifespan the human lifespan is just an opportunity to do something within the flow of life and that's pretty hard to understand at Bay in Yorkville, but it's, <laughs> but, it's, but it's a little easier to understand when you're walking across a, a, a little wooden bridge from one little lagoon type thing to another at Tofino in the That's beach. That's right. There's a the other day I saw a bear, you know, and, and just to see a bear, I saw an owl. The other day, my, my in-laws are fishing and two orca surfaced right in front of the fishing boat. <laughs> that doesn't happen that you know as you say Bay in the, the of Bay. that's right <laughs> no just people who think they're orcas come <laughs> surfacing up <laughs> to tell you that they just bought this fantastic thing at this fantastic price at this fantastic price. <laughs> and look at my new car 
Yeah. Whatever. Which is not quite Schmack. the car I should have, but I'll get that car <laughs> next, which is going to be the electric version of that car until That's there's right. a better version of the car. It's never enough. It's never, What's enough. never enough. It's never enough. It, 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 eyes, eyes get big, but it's the hollowness that we're filling, you know, if it's a material life. But so many of your lessons you've, you've taken and made the very best of instead of turning them into a, a, a bitter soup, you know, that, you know, a drool that, that just makes you angry, you know. I'll drink the gruel and I'll just accept my fate, you know. And I love that about it. There's a friend of mine who's a stand-up comic and producer for many years, uh, Howie Busgang. And uh, Howie's got uh, a smoked meat place on Salt Spring Island called Buzzies. So oh, should... I didn't realize that was Howie Busgang. Wow, yeah, that's incredible. So you should check him I gotta, out. I'm going to go and say hi for sure. I haven't been yet. Yeah, give him your mustard. He, 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 I will, for he'll, sure. He'll love it. Um, I, I, I wish I was out there with you. I truly do. I, come I, visit. I, I, well, you know, I got a schlep. When the time is right, when the time is right, please come visit. And uh, we have plenty of room here. The, the Bradshaws have a couple of extra rooms. Will and I can shift over and, and give you our place. It would be lovely to have you out here and, uh, and uh, spend some time together again. I'm going to give you a blessing. Shana Tova. May you have the sweetness and love in your life. May you give love and have love. May you have your atonement. Your, your ability to see within yourself, your, your vidui of the things that we haven't done and the things that we need to do, uh, but also the forgiveness of all who have come before you and after and the forgiveness of yourself for any of what you perceive to be your shortcomings, which are really just jewels waiting to be revealed to the son of who you are as a human being. Shana Tova. Shana Tova, Ralph. Ralph, and I want to say thank you for, for really being the very best of what it means to be Jewish. And, and uh, I think that if, if your message can be heard, heard far and wide, people would really understand the best of what it means in our faith. And I, I wanna thank you for carrying that message. You take care of yourself. Thanks, you too. Zane Koplansky, owner of Koplansky's Deli. And uh, on his website, you can order yourself some fantastic and different mustards, I might add. Oh boy, made me uh, just miss his College Street Deli and yet, uh, I love what he's doing and I love the way he's doing it. And uh, we could all take a lot of lessons from what he was talking about. Really, really good stuff. Two things I want to do. Uh, one is I want to tell you about something that I, I am involved with on another level. I'm part of what's called a wisdom council for something called mensch work. A mensch in Hebrew is a human being. And it is the highest compliment you can pay someone that you are a real mensch, a real human being. And it, it, it's meant to talk about the, the profoundness of understanding your existence here and being kind to people and being as good a person as you can be with all your flaws. It's not about becoming perfect. It's about becoming yourself, your real self. So Menchwork is a website, menchwork.org. Mench is M-E-N-S-C-H work, menchwork.org. And uh, I work with them on the council and we do a Jewish men's retreat every year. Now, most years we go to the Berkshires. We go to Connecticut and to this beautiful uh, Isabella Friedman Jewish retreat center. And it's a men's retreat, the Jewish men's retreat. And it's going into its 29th year. So obviously this year it's gonna be a virtual retreat. If any uh, men are out there who are interested or women listening would like to give us your men and we'll bring you back a mensch, um, we'd be happy to have you. 
go to MenchWork, check out JMR29 and uh, register. It's, it's really affordable this year because there's no travel involved and accommodations. But we have a whole suite of things we're going to do from one Friday night to the next Saturday uh, night. Uh, and during that 25 hours, obviously not all the time, we're going to have different programs and services. And it, it's, it's a way of being together as Jewish men that uh, it's one of the most important things in my life these days. So if you're interested at all, go to menchwork.org and look up the Jewish men's retreat. It's going to be, let me just see if I get, yeah, I just want to make sure I get right the date because November 13th and 14th, but you do it from home on your laptop on zoom. Uh, we've got about uh, usually anywhere near to a hundred men, but we break off into schmooze rooms where we sit and talk together. We have programming for ideas and thoughts. We talk about our spirituality as men. You don't have to be religious. You don't have to, it doesn't matter. None of that matters. What matters is coming together. So JMR29 at menchwork.org. That's the first thing. And the second thing is I, I realized I really would like to talk to folks out there about my spiritual counseling practice. Uh, I am a member of uh, Spiritual Directors International, and uh, that is just one of the organizations I belong to that really tries to promote for people the idea of a spiritual companionship, someone to talk to about the bigger and more interesting to me things um, that we kind of leave off the table. I, I find when I do this show itself that there are people who they're not used to talking about their spirituality. But once they get going, as you noticed with almost everyone I speak to, it's, it's really quite something to see because it opens them up to all kinds of experiences within themselves, looking at themselves through a spiritual lens. I'm also part of the Canadian Association for Spiritual Care, which is another wonderful organization for people who do anything from pastoral to palliative to counseling. Uh, in the spiritual realm. In my case, if you are interested in a consultation about whether or not spiritual counseling is for you, then uh, the best way to do it confidentially is to go to my Twitter site, at uh, Ralph Ben Murgy, because that way you can direct message me and no one else needs to be part of our business except us. Everything that we would deal with would be confidential anyway. But at Ralph Ben Murgy, and then direct message me that you'd like to have a conversation and we'll take it to an email conversation between you and I and uh, see if we can put together a session. And I tend to try to help people through spiritual practices and through really trying to listen from my heart to their heart. So that's two things I wanted to talk to you about. So you take care of yourselves. The Jewish New Year starts. Uh, I'm taping this the day before. Uh, that evening is the Friday. Erev Rosh Hashanah, the evening of the new year. And I wish you all, regardless of your faith or, or your spiritual inclinations, a sweet and loving and happy new year as we go from summer into autumn and renewal and start the cycle again. I'm Ralph ben Mergi. This is not that kind of rabbi. You take care of each other. And if you want any comments or any suggestions, go to my Facebook page. Not that kind of rabbi is the Facebook page. Take care of each other. Bye.
This podcast has been produced by TMDS and accelerated by Rome Phone. Rome Phone brings you the most reliable virtual phone service to run your business and protect your home number from unwanted calls. Visit romephone.ca to get started.